Welcome to Lagrange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science, technology, and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia, who are a youth organisation with members aged 15 to 25, whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. On today's episode, we're going to talk about all kinds of weather on Earth and in space and on other planets. So we're going to look at the radiation belts around Earth, being stuck in Lanada limbo, is global warming really slowing down marathons, and the rain from Saturn's rings. On today's episode, we have Lauren, Hello. Justin, and James. Hi. We're going to kick off with our Launchpad News section. James, I've got some terrible news for you. It seems that the rain in Spain is now in the plane of the rings of Saturn. How did that happen? Well, <laughs> Saturn's got some beautiful rings and we all like to marvel at them. But they're sitting up there in the, in the orbit around Saturn and they're made up of ice, dust, rocks, and that's what makes them so shiny and beautiful. And that's really, really cool. Except that they also aren't sometimes in the most stable of orbits. And NASA's actually just been able to observe, um, using the, the Keck Observatory uh, in Leicester, England, that the rings are actually raining down on Saturn. Trust the English to come up with a way to find rain, even in space. <laughs> but... The rings themselves, as they're ice, are actually, in, especially the ones in closer orbit, are, not, are destabilized every now and then, and they rain towards the planet and fall on and produce rain in the atmosphere. And this actually happens in a whole bunch of the rings. It's not an isolated event. It happens quite frequently. Um, and it's the interaction between the gravity, the atmosphere, the disruptions, and the things in the orbit. We don't have to worry about that much of an issue because we don't have rings. But what we do have to worry about is we have rings of satellites which are kind of similar. Fortunately, our satellites have rockets to keep them in place, or gyroscopes. But these ice blocks around Saturn don't have that luxury. So what that might mean is that the rings around Saturn are slowly melting away and raining out into space, which obviously in billions of years, billions and billions of years, we might see some change in the beautiful sight of Saturn's rings. They might disappear forever. So while it lasts, we should put a ring on it? We should definitely put a ring on it while it lasts, and that's what Saturn has done. Unless, of course, we have some new rings being formed, and there are some moons around Saturn and Jupiter that actually shoot out ice and dust and particles out, out of their atmosphere into the orbit. So that might be another way of aggregating the rings. So they mothball their material? That's true. They could, they, could, they could donate, so to speak, to the rings of Saturn and other moons. So all is not necessarily lost. They're also looking now for similar patterns in both Jupiter, Mars, and Earth. But of course, on Earth, we are, we're less likely to see such uh, a pattern around our equator on, on Earth, where, where obviously the rain and the moisture melts into. Um, but they're looking in any case. They're only really noticeable in Saturn because of its such dynamic and visible rings systems around it. That is to say, we still have the same thing happening on Earth, and that's where things like the Leonid meteor showers come into play, but they're less obvious and cool than Saturn's amazing rings. Is there a way we could use this? Like, harness the power of the ring? Sorry to rain on your parade, but I'm not sure that's foreseeable. Well, it'd be a great way for harvesting rain, ring water, if you lived in Saturn's atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Um, but living in Saturn's atmosphere, you probably have a whole bunch of other problems first, <laughs> where catching a bit of rainwater in your rainwater tanks is the least of your concerns. Possibly keeping the tanks from collapsing under the pressure is slightly more of a concern. 
definitely more of a concern. All the amazing cyclonic wind systems and patterns that exist in there, which is also really cool. So space weather is a really interesting um, field of research, uh, and they definitely can look at some amazing and beautiful changes in the environment. So it seems that Saturn isn't the only place that has interesting rings. NASA has recently discovered that there is actually a new Van Allen belt around the Earth. This belt is made up of a special sort of um, radiation that sits in a magnetic field that hovers around the Earth. Although it's not as visible or as pretty as Saturn, it certainly has some interesting properties. Right, so hang on a sec. There's these belts around Earth that have radiation in them. It's kind of terrifying. It has the Earth been gaining some kind of radioactive weight? Maybe the Earth is a superhero. No, maybe the Earth will become superheroes. This could explain where superheroes come from. Wait, no, we're getting sidetracked. The Van Allen belts are basically, as James said, big electromagnetic fields that hold in place and capture cosmic rays, solar wind, and a whole bunch of other particles that are crazily out there in space and holds them in place in these belts. They get trapped between the layers of the magnetic field. And we knew about two of them, um, but now it seems that NASA has found a third one. So what's so important about a third belt? Well, it was actually really interesting. This was found in about 1958, and it terrified NASA. They didn't know what was out there. They knew there was radiation in space, but they didn't know how much, they didn't know what it would do, and they didn't know what it would do to astronauts as they flew through it. There were a lot of fears when they were making the moon missions to the moon that this could kill or, like, fry people or the electrical equipment on the spaceships. So they had to put in a lot of insulation. We realise now that it's not too bad. Um, it's actually not that damaging or long-term problem-inducing, but it's a really interesting cosmic side effect. The Earth captures all this radiation around it. So does this radiation affect the Earth, or is it just like, you know, hovering around the edges of it? Hovering around the edges of it. Think about it like a big bubble or a donut that encases the Earth. And it's a layered donut, and each layer in that donut is another buffer or a shield of absorbed radiation. They don't actually reach Earth, they're just held in place by our magnetic field. So I guess NASA's a little scared that they found another third belt of radiation that could have had effects they didn't even know about? That's right, and they've managed to pick it up. It's a bit, actually a bit closer uh, uh, to Earth as well. <laughs> and what this has impacts to is the shielding and the technology that they use on satellites and spaceships in not only orbit, but our upper Earth atmosphere, needs to be increased to protect itself from this space radiation. That's not bombarding Earth, but it's getting stuck and staying around in Earth. Wait, so, Justin, cosmic, cosmic rays are really, really high energy. How can you shield against something that is that high energy? It's a really interesting challenge. And that's also why the Van Allen belts are so cool. They're trapping all these incredibly high energy particles in place and holding them in a cool ring around the Earth. So is that what's affecting my phone signal? It could be. If you were in upper Earth atmosphere, that would be why your phone may not get as good signal. Uh, so when I'm shooting what, Red Bull ads, that's probably not a good thing. Yeah, definitely. It, it is actually something that you'd have to consider for another space. That may, that may possibly explain why, the, why Red Bull uses cosmic ray frequencies for its phone signals. That's very true. And cosmic ray design is actually a really uh, interesting feature that people have to consider when designing very fast switching electronics and very small electronic equipment. Because the old cosmic ray can cause all kinds of crazy things. And believe me, there are some impacting you right now as we speak. They're just so high energy that they generally end up passing through. But on electrical circuits, they can play havoc. So NASA's been really studying cosmic rays and the Van Allen belts and radiation to understand what's around our Earth. And even if you can't see the really pretty rings that Earth has, it has some fantastic ones. 
unfortunately, your eyes need to be tuned to um, all kinds of different frequencies to kind of see how pretty it is. But man, if you could see in those frequencies, you would be totally rocking out at the amazing views that we have. Maybe the radiation will give you that power to see it eventually. Maybe. The radiation is just trying to give us the ability to see, to be able to see how it. It just cool wants to be loved. It just wants to be loved. So, Lauren, noticed climate change around you anytime recently? A bit. I mean, my marathon running's been a bit affected. Well, some, st- some recent studies have shown that should you be flying over the Atlantic Ocean, you may actually notice these effects much sooner than you think. So I shouldn't be flying over the Atlantic Ocean anytime soon? Well, you can. It's just, remember that Qantas flight that randomly dropped a few hundred feet and scared everybody? That sort of thing could be happening a lot more often over the Atlantic as the jet streams are influenced by the effect of a changing climate because the air, pat- the air currents are destabilised. This means that the jet streams, which are sort of the very high-level airflows that allow planes to travel quite quickly often, uh, will be sort of disturbed in a way that means that everyone will have a much, much more bumpy ride. So this is an example of why climate change has all sorts of unexpected side effects. I mean, this is terrible for my getting my meal service on the transatlantic flight because now, now I'm going to get my drinks filled everywhere. This is terrible. Maybe this will make people pay attention to some change in the climate once people's drinks start getting spilled on their clothes. That could be it. Given the number of high-power executives who move along that route, you may well be right. That's very true. So, so basically, this is a disruption in airflow that yes. causes more turbulence during a flight. Well, that's right. Once the sea levels in the atmosphere changes and cools in different places, it adjusts the jet stream patterns of both the currents in the ocean and the currents in the air. And once they start switching around and moving more and becoming more unstable, it means that there's more variability and fluctuation in them. They might even become a lot stronger in some places and a lot weaker in others. Would this speed up your flight or make it longer? It could do both. <laughs> One way it might be sped up. The other mm-hmm. way it might be faster. But if the, cl- the jet streams themselves change direction um, in terms of the way in which they move, they may not move in a certain path before. You might have to cross it. And if you have to cross it and it's suddenly more powerful, that's really bad. It means that you have to go through a big wave of turbulence as you enter and as you leave it. When Just like in Finding Nemo when they ride the stream. It's a bit bumpy when you first get in, <laughs> but then it's really smooth. And that's an example of the jet stream. So for all our North American and uh, UK listeners out there, and yes, I know there are a few of you, um, this is something that could impact your lives quite soon, in fact. They're predicting that we'll start seeing the effect of this by at least 2025, but really noticeable effects by 2050. Um, So will this just have effects on planes? Well, planes, boats, all kinds of things. And the changes in the jet stream and the currents in the ocean that associate with it will also have an impact on the way that the freezing and cooling and the winters in both North America and Europe happen. So Europe might be starting to get some really hot weather soon. And I know those Brits, they can't handle much more of a 30 degrees. (laughs) So they're going to have to handle a lot more than that soon. We might be going on holidays to sunny Scotland. If you're flying in the jet stream in about 20 years' time and you're feeling extra turbulence, you know it's it's the climate change getting you there. Maybe it's, in that case, maybe it's time to start taking cruise ships again. Definitely cruise ships are on the cards. They would ride the flow a lot more easier and you'd feel the effects less than that. Maybe we could also just be using scramjets by then and flying over the jet stream so it wouldn't be an issue. That or we could just um, start taking the EAC. The EAC? It's Eastern Australian Current. That's true. We could ride the EAC, but that will only get us from the Great Barrier Reef to Sydney. Spoilers. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Some spoilers. Ways. For finding, finding Nemo. <laughs>
It's okay, they're making a sequel. <laughs> so Lauren, have you heard of El Nino? I'm sorry? What about La Nina? Are you trying to sing something, Justin? Well, La Nada. Don't worry. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not actually singing songs here, guys. I'm talking about climate patterns to do with the Pacific Ocean. There is, you don't mean the specific ocean? Not the specific ocean, but the specific Pacific Ocean. Not to confuse you all. Terrific. In the Pacific Ocean, there's kinds of currents that undergo through the ocean which move cold water and hot water around at different locations. Mm -hmm. The movement of the currents also impacts the movement of the air above them and the jet streams because the ocean radiates heat and that impacts our atmosphere. And we measure this and we know this. We look back through all the data from our satellites and we can see specific patterns. And there's two main patterns that we know. We know the La Nina and the El Nino. La Nina, for Australia, means that we have really wet conditions and we get a lot of rain because all the clouds and the moisture is actually heading in Australia. But it means that in South America, they get no rain. El Nino, on the other hand, means that Australia gets really, really dry because the moisture is travelling from Australia's area all the way over to South America and they're getting all the rain. So it's kind of like each reverses the other? That's right. And we've been able to pick the change in oscillation in this by looking at the patterns of the currents for the last couple of years. And when we that's how we knew the drought broke, for instance, because the pattern reverted from El Nino to La Nina. Okay, so Justin, then what is La Nada? <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> we've, uh, we've noticed that in between El Nino and La Nada, we've picked up a new pattern. And this has been observed by NASA's satellite called Jason. Uh, and this um, is noticed that there's some strong cold water currents that actually move through the Pacific in the intermediary periods for about two years. And that kind of ends up with a balanced situation. So in the switchover point where it's a bit of both, it's a mixture, and they call that La Nada, which is a, a weird kind of limbo we get stuck in in the middle of this dance. I can't oh. wait for us to have a new dance called La Nada. Hey, uh, La Nada, da, 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 da. And it would um, require you leaning down in a limbo type fashion. Or just being like really chilled and cool. Whereas like <laughs> it has to be a very current thing. Yeah, yeah. Whereas 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 La Nina, La Nina is just like really a really like slow, not much dancing, whereas El Nino is like crazy dancing. La Nada is just like whatever guys, whatever. I'm, I'm uh, ambivalent. I don't really care. I'm too cool for this. I'll just go with the flow <laughs> of the current. So that's a really kind of uh, interesting part about climate science and we, we, we can find out more about the Earth by studying the oceans and the currents using cool new satellites from NASA. And that helps us understand about the patterns and droughts and rain seasons that we have. Lauren, you're a pretty happy-go-lucky girl, and uh, you can usually bounce back from all kinds of tough situations, but how do you find yourself bouncing back from a tornado wiping out your house and your home? Personally, I, it'd be a very hard thing to do. I mean, Chances are you've lost a lot of things. Even though you haven't lost your life, it's still, I still wouldn't be as optimistic as studies have actually found some people are. Wait, wait. So you're telling me that after a tornado has, like, wiped out their house, people are like, eh, whatever. They still got their home. Yeah. Oh. Basically, they start working on the lightning doesn't strike twice in the same place theory. Um, so, that, so they think, oh, yeah, well, we've lived through um, a tornado once. That, that just means that we're fine. We, we don't have to prepare for the next one because we survived the first one. So that's really interesting because then it deals with how people psychologically evaluate risk and danger. And I, I guess once you've lived through something that traumatic once before, any other experience of that is a relatable experience for you. So you're naturally more optimistic about getting out of it unscathed. You basically think that you're invincible. You've done it once before, so why not again? And unfortunately, this would have effects on preparation for disasters like this and reactions towards 
protecting yourself. Yeah, because if, if you think, well, I didn't really do anything special last time and I got out fine, so why do I need to do anything special now? That's really dangerous, I then, I guess, for public policy and people trying to make sure that people stay alive. So, for example, if you lived through Black Saturday, you might be more likely to go in a situation, okay, I'll, I know that I could probably get out of the next big fire safe. That being said, being optimistic doesn't necessarily mean that you are more likely to get hurt, probably because you also, you're more optimistic because you now have gone through it once, you know what you're doing in a similar circumstance. So you could be like, oh, okay, that was really terrible, and ah, it was a nightmare, but now I know what to do in a circumstance. I know what to expect from it, so I know how to react in, this, in the correct way. And, and keep myself safe from injury. It's really interesting that they figured this out from um, research in America from studies where, of towns that have been hit by tornadoes. And that sort of gets back to that question of why would you live in Tornado Alley? Its name is Tornado Alley. But this research sheds a bit of light into it. So it's after people have been through one before, they understand and they know the risks and they go, well, I'm actually optimistic about getting through the next one unscathed. And that kind of explains why people continue to live in areas that are prone to disaster, whether that be hurricanes, bushfires, cyclones or tornadoes. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, The Grange Point. Today we've talked about, on today's episode, we've talked about some of the impacts of climate change, including jet stream turbulence, as well as the La Nada pattern. We also looked at space weather on Saturn and around the Earth. This has been Lauren, James and Justin. Our ending theme was composed by Audio Nanics. Head to ysa.org.au for more information on the Young Scientists of Australia.